0: if you have unnatural desires for something you just want to say okay well this is part of my sin nature this is part of my flesh this is not something this is not who i am this is not what i've uh, in, in christ i've been remade and so i'm going to live as if these things don't define me
1: Welcome to the Stand Firm podcast. We're recording this episode on Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. I'm Nick Landon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here as usual with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. How you guys doing? Excellent. Yeah, great, Nick. Thanks. Well, it's officially fall here in Louisville. Been in the 50s the last few days, which means, of course, it's 80 on Hilton Head and negative 80 in Binghamton. <laughs> right? You guys live in weird places.
2: It's <laughs> not exactly 80? It's it's more. We had, a, I think it was 57 this morning. Woke up and there was a mist all around, and mm. no one knew what to do. Everyone came out in there, <laughs> came out in their ski, their, their puppy <laughs> ski jackets. <laughs> <laughs> and our our youngest daughter is, was refusing to go to school because it was too cold.
1: <laughs> I remember we lived in Fort Lauderdale for 18 months and we would occasionally get like a cold weather warning from the school. Like today, sweatshirts are allowed. It was a it was a private Christian school and they had uniforms and occasionally there'd be sweatshirts allowed because it was in the 60s. <laughs> 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 really funny.
2: Nothing your blood yeah, does like thicken then.
0: I think it's this this last summer has been the best we've had in ages and this winter is delayed we're having it's we're 2 weeks late for the for the peak of the leaf changing so we're probably going to have a shorter winter I think it, climate change is turning you know, Binghamton into this heaven on earth it's awesome it's, it's like small shorter winters mild summers we're probably gonna have a mild winter it's gonna be awesome so san diego may be
1: underwater go. but binghamton yeah. that's where right. you want right. to be that's
2: right that's right <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's,
2: that's funny although i i still want to say you need to take a picture of your street the heavily festooned you know political ads and uh <laughs> you know demonic halloween <laughs> or decorations I, I, I I, you need to do a video family. of this yeah because i would love the <laughs> way ann describes it it sounds like a hellscape um <laughs> i'm surprised your house hasn't been I mean, they know you're a minister right i mean you're, i'm surprised y'all haven't been like picketed or something
0: yeah well, they know i'm a minister but we're very careful not to put any signs in our front yard or any like any uh any paraphernalia that might uh, might Kick them off i mean i'm wearing a collar so maybe they assume i'm episcopalian or something so they
1: also know um, that there are like 19 of you there's a small army of kennedys that's, that's ready to, that's
0: to, that's
2: to. well but small is the operative to, word there defend the homestead <laughs> small is the, i mean his whole family's sitting in that car with him right there <laughs> So we are. I say that was such love. I say that was such (laughs) love and affection. (laughs) I I loved that. I loved Ann's take on the the Halloween um, sort of decorations. (laughs) It was a good one. Well done. Thank
1: you. Well, listen, guys, we're going to talk about sex today. Uh, Sex, sexuality, and sexual identity is one of the great conversations and fronts of the war for orthodoxy of our age. There was an interesting skirmish in that war on Twitter last week and continuing to this week. Someone shared a video of Sam Alberry saying at a conference, admittedly, as it turns out, nine years ago, that though he desires to be same-sex attracted and wants a wife and family, those aren't his goals. And while it would be lovely if that, if that happened, he says, quote, far, far greater than becoming heterosexual is knowing Jesus better. The clip was shared and got pushback from people suggesting that he's over-identifying with his homosexuality here as he assumes that he can't be married and have a family. After all, his opponents, if you will, say, according to Scripture, you don't have to be sexually attracted to a woman to marry one. You just have to be a man. Now, the Scripture does talk about singleness, and even depending on who you ask, valorizes it. But marriage is certainly the norm. Now, Aubrey himself has commented on the comments, but hasn't, at least not that I've seen, said anything about his views having changed. So let's talk about it. Now, obviously, through the lens of standpoint epistemology, it will seem tough for the three of us to comment on this. We all have wives who we are attracted to and who, by a direct miracle of the Lord, find us attractive. But what do you guys make of the current conversation around sex, sexual attraction, singleness, and marriage?
0: yeah i think i think the critics of sam aldridge have a point I, I don't think they they've they have a point that it completely undoes what sam was saying uh, but i think they have a point that that over the last two decades christians have allowed themselves to be to be subverted by by the paradigmatic understanding of sexual identity that you know sets you into some kind of spectrum to based on your desires and then identifies you and you identify with that but when when revoice first started it had a lot more support because because evangelicals had let themselves be so subverted and it wasn't until revoice really came out in favor of the trans you know pronouns and those kinds of things recently that, that that it was kind of exposed oh you you take a walk down that road you end up in a very unchristian, sub-Christian place. But I, I think that, so I think the point that, that the critics are making is, is that the Christian doesn't need to take extra biblical categories and let those categories dictate the direction that we take in our lives. Hmm. So Sam Albury is is same, is what we would say in the 21st century is same-sex attractive. Earlier generations would have said he has lustful sin problems, sin issues that he needs to repent of and uh, and seek to overcome. So, and I think that's right. I think that's the way that's that's the way Christians should describe it. If you have if you have if you have unnatural desires for something, you just want to say, okay, well, this is part of my sin nature. This is part of my flesh. This is not some. This is not who I am. This is not what I uh, in, in Christ have been remade. And so, I'm going to live as if these things don't define me. Um, to... Now I know Sam Sam Albury has is a critic of Revoice. I mean, he's not he's not on board with Revoice. And but when he, he was in
1: Africa with us that. in April, he said very clearly at the breakout session that yeah. I attended that identity in anything other than Christ is sin, and that a Christian yep. cannot do that.
0: Right, right. So, so I think that's where there's some tension between what he said in 2009 and, and what he said at GavCon. And well, it does seem the like actually.
2: It does seem right. like he has differentiated himself over against the revoice people. I mean, certainly over against yeah. like what Andy Stanley's new, whatever that conference was. And so, you know, it's I unconditional. think unconditional. Um, it does seem like it was. I don't want to say disingenuous, but it does seem that. I mean, nine years is a long time. I mean, I've you know I've got sermons right. and things I've said nine <laughs> years ago that I'm you know would I'd like to qualify at least if someone puts some Billy, of them up Billy, and say, Billy, well, Billy, well, I wouldn't have to. <laughs> Thankfully, I had. I had a um, loving wife who's my uh, staunchest advocate and critic. And so I was, I was, I was, uh, nevertheless, I think that you're exactly right, Nick, that the trajectory of like living out loud, you know, that we, that started, I don't know if it started exactly when Revoice did, but you know, they sort of were sort of, you know, one was the UK, one was American, but it does seem that, that Sam has taken that organization, or at least he himself, I mean, again, if, if his statement to GAPCON is in the has, has dramatically parted ways from at least the prevailing kind of uh, revoice orthodoxy, which is in full embracing of this identity. And so I think, you know, I don't, again, I didn't see much resolution on Twitter between the debate. But no way, you didn't see his... resolution on Twitter? I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I do think, I did think that he had a point about it being nine years ago, um, but the question still remains and the debate unfolded mm-hmm. along the normal lines, which was that whether or not marriage was to be something that church- churches should, um, or Christian people should desire and promote, um, or was singleness somehow sort of an equal, an equal state, if not even preferable in some cases. And that seemed to be, I mean, I just checked the, the uh, Twitter thread that was going on right before we got on here. And that was still the, the ongoing debate was, you know, sort of the, the growing, Singleness movement, for lack of a better word, in the church, in the particularly evangelical church, and kind of pushback against Doctor Moore in um, his comments, irrespective of Sam Albury. So I thought that was kind of an interesting development as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that you know there's there's, a, there's kind of a dovetailing that's happened between people who want to remain single and serve Christ in that way, and those who are remaining single because they have desires that would prohibit them to marry. And so there's two. Those are two distinct things, I think, that, that get confused and blended together. And those who are critiquing Sam Albury were saying the the, the first is fine. Like you just say, hey, I want to be a, uh, I want to be single and serve the serve the church in this way. That's great. But if you're but if you're doing it because because, because you have unnatural desires that are not consistent with the desires you should have in marriage. Um, and therefore you're going to remain single. The, the, the critique was, well, you've let your decide, you're deci- you're, de- you're making a decision to let this part of your life define you and, de- and, de- and determine your steps. And I can understand that. I think it's. I think there's some validity to that, cri- that, that critique. I'm not sure that Sam Alberry in 2023 would say the same thing as Sam Alberry did in, in 2011 or whatever the video was.
2: Well, I don't think you even could. I mean, we've talked about that before. I mean, yeah. like the, the identity the identity discussion. I mean, we followed this along the trajectory from uh, Wes Hill's book, uh, you know, his original book, towards the Spiritual Friendship book, the book written in 2009 or 2010. You know we didn't have or at least the culture wasn't so obsessed with this you know identitarian language sort of the essence of who i am is actually the the ontological reality of my life you know i feel like i'm a demisexual or whatever the thing you know i I feel that i'm a man trapped in a woman's body you know these are it's like carl truman's book i mean these are questions that that i think were nascent back in 2010 but really um had only come to the fore and i think i'm grateful that Sam has not totally, or not even totally, he's rejected, you know, rejected much of that impulse, uh, which is great. Even even if you may, it'd be interesting to have heard him say how he would have phrased it differently or, or what his right. sort of um, take on singleness, celibacy, and his still desire for marriage as a, you know, with this impediment as he sees it. Um, that would be interesting to have a conversation with him about I'm not sure Twitter <laughs> Twitter was the you know the appropriate uh you know venue for that and I certainly don't know him I mean I saw him from a distance I certainly don't know him well enough but i I, I would be interested in hearing how he would discuss that now because I imagine I'd be somewhat enlightened or edified by it given his recent comments on identity and and sexual desire
0: I mean just what- on a practical basis I can see even if A person who wanted to be with other men wanted to get married married i think it'd be maybe a little difficult to find a woman who would say (laughs) who would say well i mean that's part of the problem of i know you i know you have these overwhelming desires for other men but i'm going to marry you i think that (laughs) you might be stuck in single what would be the
2: the difference and this is not maybe this is too simplistic but like if you were a man who was a, a was a rake in the old term you know like you were a um, you were sort of attracted to anything that walked, um, and you decided you became a Christian, and you didn't lose that desire. But you said, "Well, mm-hmm. I have to channel it now into one person." And you were upfront with the person that you married and said, "Listen, I've got some serious baggage and wounds, you know, but here's where we're going, and this is what I'm committing to." It doesn't seem bad. You're basically up, really. talking
0: about every. Uh, you're basically talking about every marriage marriage today, because you know. We well, have I mean, are right? the the so, difference so like is that, that that
1: that sinful desire can be channeled into something that would please your spouse sexually. And I think that the assumption from somebody making the kind of argument, again, that Sam was recorded making nine years ago, would, would be that he or someone like him would actually be incapable of providing sexual satisfaction to his spouse. And that's reason enough not to get married.
0: That kind of sets it in the category of a debilitating sickness, you know, if you, if you, if you were unable to have any kind of sexual action. With yeah. Them, but
2: that also know. happens. I mean, we've had friends yeah. of ours that have, right. you know, come down with something his wife came down with some, I don't know what it's called, but something that made, you know, basically it you no, know, well, that mm-hmm. scenario was exactly yeah. what it was and they're still married, you know, and that's still, I mean, so I,
0: it's one thing to get married and then have that happen. It's another thing to go into marriage knowing that that's already the condition, right?
2: But would you counsel someone who had that condition before marriage? I wouldn't counsel them not to get married. No,
0: no, I, I would no, just I say I'm you just
2: have playing. to consider what you're getting into, and it's going to look different yeah. than, you know,
0: yeah. Um, I'm playing, I'm playing devil's them. advocate here. I'm playing devil's right. advocate here. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, I, I, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the line that you shouldn't get married at all. Um, but, I'm, but I can understand the practicalities of that being very difficult.
1: I do think that that speaks a little bit to part of why people are having problems with some of this is that the the assumptions that it entails. I remember somebody interacting with Wes Hill several years ago said something along the lines of, it's pretty limiting to say, I'm not attracted to women. When you could theoretically say, I have not yet found a woman I'm attracted to. Now, obviously, you have found that you're attracted to other men. So like the year to date or the, the the life to date evidence is that you're only attracted to men and not to women. But it might be difficult to find a woman who would want to be in such a marriage. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. And so the question sort of is, we tend to, and I think I fall into this as well, we privilege or at least make unique the sin of homosexuality and we treat it as though it's the only sin that god can't do anything about That's right. and rosaria putterfield is really good on this issue and of course she has a personal story that impacts this discussion too herself but she she wants to be clear that god can in fact work healing miracles and make things that are untrue true and bring things that are dead into new life and so that the idea of this uniquely implacable sin seems to be part of where the problem lies.
0: I think that's right. And I think, I think yeah. it kind of undervalues what Scripture says that God does during a marriage, that God, God joins a man and a woman together as one flesh. That's his work, not ours. And, and so I think, I think our understanding of what marriage is theologically demands that we recognize that God can do things within, within two people are joined together as one flesh that the two people may not think that he could do right, before they're joined. It, 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 it's, it's beyond, I mean, I, I remember lots of things that I thought I would never be able to do as a non-Christian mm-hmm. I'm doing as a Christian, just with, as a matter of course, because that's what God does. He changes, he changes you from the inside out. So yeah, I think that's a good point. I wonder if the the conversation is also maybe a little difficult to have because and just going back to the point we were making earlier, because there's a real strong kind of backlash against um, the marriage teaching in the eighties and nineties and people now who are not gay necessarily, but who really think the church should pay a lot more attention to singles get really upset sometimes when, when too much focus is paid to the marriage life and how to be married and how to have kids and, and they they kind of feel really left out um by the church uh, because they haven't had this attention. Um and then, you know, again, build on top of that, the people who are choosing not to get married because of their sexuality. I think both those things coming together makes this a particularly heated, heated yep. conversation. Well, One of the things that I was noticing is, you know, Sam Albury, he's really upset with the tone of the fight, right? He's, he's, uh, he's really angry at one person in particular on Twitter. I forgot his name, Jared, something who, his online behavior is, has offended Sam to a great deal that he's thinking about getting rid of his his ex account, formerly Twitter, uh formerly Twitter mm-hmm. account. But yeah, so I mean, there's just a lot of heat around this. And um yeah. more more than I think it warrants. It I think I think there should be a lot of heat if Sam were saying something he isn't saying. If he were if he were actually the same place he was in two thousand and nine and eleven or whenever it was, I would definitely think that the heat is understandable but but if he's not um which he doesn't seem to be i don't see one why he's so upset with people reacting to the video and i don't see why i don't know i, just, I, I, I just think it's gotten out of control i'm not a tone police guy i think i'm fine with people being as, as <laughs> no well. i'm fine with people being i mean I, I think i think sam is being a little bit i i think he's being a little bit i don't know i i won't even i think he's too sensitive back off of, yeah, too sensitive. Come on, man. Well, um, I don't know. He. Well, I think, but I think to refer to other online p-
1: behavior, which obviously I didn't like, seek out this guy's other tweets. I do think that the one thing that other people have picked up on in this particular tweet thread is the call for Sam to repent of mm-hmm. his. I ge- I guess I'm not exactly sure what he's supposed to re- like his his fatalism, his his loneliness that he's not seeking. He's acknowledging a desire for what the Lord has created as the norm for men, but his refusal to seek it. And I think that the call for repentance is what some other responders have seen as harsh.
2: Yeah, but I I do. I mean, I agree with you, though, Matt. I think that at a certain point you could say, I mean, someone calls me to repent for something that I legitimately don't believe I should repent of. And no one that I trust is is advocating me to do so. Well, then I'll just say, you know, Sorry. I mean, you know, I guess we'll, we'll agree to disagree about that. Um, but but I do think, Matt, that your point earlier point about the confluence of sort of the singleness discussion and the number of unmarried, you know, relatively speaking, unmarried Christ- people in churches compared to, you know, maybe a generation ago, combined with the empathy that people have for the quote unquote celibate gay Christian movement. And the narrative surrounding that, which we've talked about, that has placed them at some sort of, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of human self-sacrifice and, you know, self-denial does make the conversation fraught with all sorts of added uh, baggage um, because, you know, no everyone's walking on eggshells, not wanting to offend or, you know, um, well, you don't want to tie a millstone around someone's neck, you know, they're already, you know, I mean, you don't want to be that person. And that's the implication in all of this, is that to somehow upset the Christian single person in your church by implying that perhaps the state that they have become accustomed to, if not finally embraced, is not ideal or God's best or even in some cases perhaps sinful you know i mean the, the 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 single person that is serially fornicating you know and dealing with their their non-celibate desires in a uh, worldly way needs to repent It needs to you know come under come bring into order that which is disordered and i think you know, but of course, there are people that are unhappily single. You know, and unhappily, um, you know, and are searching for for someone. And those we certainly have to be incredibly compassionate to those people. But I've never met a pastor. Uh, I've never met a pastor in the world who wouldn't actively help that person. You know, uh, rectify their singleness. You know, in any way, shape, or form. I mean setting up dinner parties or you know, inviting, make, making matchmaking. I mean, this, I mean, the, the reality of, of it is, and we talked about this before, like if in God's design, if you're a Christian and you have sexual desires to, directed towards any, any direction, they need to be brought into order, because if they're not brought into order, then they're going to consume you. And <laughs> so Paul says, you know, it's better to marry than burn. And, you know, I don't know exactly what you're burning for or whom you're burning for, but I do know that that is the, fireman's antidote, uh, you know, for that state. And if you have been gifted legitimate celibacy, well, then you should be grateful. I mean, I I can't imagine what that would be like, but, but I know that there are people who do and I, you know, you say, it's just not an issue for me. You know, I just have. um, And so praise God you have, that's a state of grace in some ways that you have now can devote your, you know, all of your energy to the work of the Lord and in whatever capacity he's called you to, but that's not, simply for the sake of humanity, the majority or normative position for human beings, you know, clearly. And so I think that the whole, you know, it's interesting. And I was listening to a BBC four podcast the other day called beyond belief. And it was an interview of uh, a Wiccan, a Druid, a pagan, a a man, witch, and I don't know, I didn't see a picture of him. It sounded like a man, but no, it might, maybe it was, you know, I think it was a, man a non-binary. I think he was a, you know, it's not the sandwich. I think he was a non quote unquote non-binary witch. And then there was a priest, the church of England priest. It was really like, you can't make yeah, this it makes, up. You know, um, the whole thing,
0: right?
2: It does. Well, but to be fair, the church of England priest was, was trying to, to, to have like a Christian perspective on this, but it's, it's fascinating. But, but the, the point of it was that I thought was most interesting is the professor, the from Cambridge or whatever, who's the who's the um who's the Wiccan, I mean who's the uh the pagan, she was saying that um that that she thinks the rise in paganism is because it's a distinctly Freudian, post-Freudian, post-Jungian spirituality, in that people can now look inside themselves to discover who they really are, and thus embrace whatever comes out. And I just thought that was such a fascinating to this to this discussion in general, it was such a fascinating statement is sort of like, you know, the quiet part out loud, because that's precisely what's happening even in this sexuality discussion is that, you know, who told you that you had to be, you know, uniquely and 100% sexually attracted to your spouse in order to to get married? Like who told you that you, you would never have a deviant sexual thought. Um, and if you did, then you had you couldn't enter into this union and so on and so forth. And I think it's, it's a symptom Of just the modern culture, which I think you're exactly right from the very beginning, Matt. um, You know, we have to reorder the entire discussion around what the Bible says about our problem and our solution rather than what, what the culture does.
1: One thing that the Bible doesn't seem to say, which is something that I heard in church youth groups, et cetera, growing up, is that God has like selected one woman for you. And maybe he maybe in a sense that that's true in his omniscience and his plan for your life but it was presented in such a way that i could see how somebody would think that the romantic life is the search for the one perfect person that god has preselected and so then you could see how it would become this really freighted thing and how you would what gosh, if i marry well, the wrong person i really like that guy but you know he likes mustard on his hot dogs and not ketchup so i guess i guess he's not the one for me when it seems like marriage to listen to Paul in first Corinthians is like, you need to find somebody to channel these <laughs> desires into and their particulars are not that
2: important. <laughs> like, well, oh, yeah. It's just such a, it's just such a post, you know, post pill decadent, you know, late capitalism, right. they would say um, problem to have because the idea that, the idea that you would, for all of human history, that you would get married primarily because of unique, overwhelming, soul-crushing desire, you know, sort of romantic affection, as opposed to we need someone to uh, go shoot a bear while I keep the house, you know, from burning down, or, you know, I need someone to, to simply help me not be so lonely or, you know, take care. I mean, it, it, the, the and you're one of the is, 13
1: females within walking distance. You know, I can't. That's right. Uh, that's it. That's right. <laughs>
2: Well, that's what's so sad. I mean, this is a longer, this is a wider ranging discussion, but I was reading, I followed this guy on Twitter that does all of the, he, he breaks down all of the um, algorithms and sort of the data that comes from the dating apps. And it's just fascinating. I mean, he's not a Christian and I can't remember his name at the moment, but he's doing some sort of like deep data um, PhD or whatever. But, but, but suffice it to say, like the amount of um, choice that people have and then compared to their own self-assessment, it's just fascinating because you know, most people are looking for like a rate themselves as like a eight, nine or 10, you know, and, and, and then are looking for at least like a, at least an eight, you know, mm-hmm. and that's like, they're not going to go. I mean, have you seen those guys like go interview the the girls and they're saying like, you know, if you ever get married, how tall does a guy have to be? And they're like, you know, at least six two. like how much money does he have to make? Like at least $150,000. And they're like, well, you have just described 0.06% of the population in your town or whatever. And, um, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, it, it, I don't know what's going to happen, but at some point there has to be a a reset because you know, the loneliness and the you know, the despair and the sort of fracturing within the churches, you know, I don't know what we can do with outside of churches, but the, this, this sort of reticence to, to speak true and plainly to these people in the sense of like, well, it might hurt their feelings. has got to come second to what is actually best for them. You know, as you're raising, like you're speak to your high school youth groups, like disabuse them of, of these ideas, that marriage is something not to uh, not a gift, you know, that motherhood's not a miracle, that, that the responsibilities of being a parent and a father are not God-given and good. I mean, we have to be sort of immune to the kind of sophisticated deconstructionists who want to sort of throw, you know, in your face, like you're going to sound like a you know, 1950s, you know, fundamentalist, patriarchal throwback. I mean, whatever. I mean, that's that's fine. Like, you can say all that you want, but the proof in the, is in the pudding. And, the, you know, that Brad Wilcox, the guy at UVA that does the marriage and family studies, just came out with that survey of all the sort of uh, happiness within marriage, you know, and it was that, like, women, despite what you've heard and despite what the TV shows say, like, the big, broad study just came out. And married men and women, uh, Christian or not, you know, are reporting higher levels of happiness and contentedness than not. And, and the that's younger just, the better. That's right. Because it's a it's a general, it's a it's a common grace and a general good, you know, marriage is to be esteemed among all people, as our prayer book says. And I think to, you know, you can overstate it, you can be hamfisted and you can be insensitive, and that's all true. But that doesn't take away from the fact that fundamentally what we're talking about is an either or and it's it's in God's economy. Um, barring the gift of celibacy, that marriage is not only to be preferred, but just to, to be desired.
0: Going back to what I agree with everything you said. That going back to what Nick was saying about the well, that goes on. You know, that goes <laughs> out. The, the, the the one that you're supposed to find. That's, that's I I I grew up in the Episcopal Church, so I don't remember anything like that being told taught to me. But but that sounds a lot like you know this kind of secular idea of the soulmate. You know, you have. Yeah. Some you know, some someone's written in the stars for you, and unless you find that person, you're never going to be happy. And that's a that's a super dangerous idea in the, in the pagan or the non-Christian world, but especially in the Christian world. Because if if you if you buy it, right, then you marry somebody you think is your God ordained spouse, and then you know you meet a really hot colleague at work, and you think, oh wait, no, I mean, <laughs> God wanted me to marry this person, and I married that person, and so. You know, that's what happens in the in the in the secular world with the soulmate thing i it, i found my soulmate and it's not my wife or my husband so i'm going to right. leave my wife and my husband and go go with my soulmate so it's a really uh, really dangerous uh, really dangerous teaching but i like the um i like what you just said though uh jd about the about the of course marriage making a decision to marry somebody is a weighty thing and we don't need and and, and and it's weighty whether or not you have this idea of soulmate or or god-ordained person it's weighty because it is a it's one of the major life decisions you make so it is a it is an important thing i can see why people are nervous about making it and 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 all of that but i remember i can't remember i can't remember who wrote this something tells me it's c.s lewis but i'm I, I don't i don't know
2: when all um, else fails but, so you can just point to that <laughs> I'll just say it, it's, it's Lewis, right, right
0: right right he's talking about marriage and in, in one of his books and he was saying um he was saying you know the reality is any of us could be happy with any number of people other than our other than people we actually marry it, it, it you the girlfriend you didn't marry when you're in high school if you married her you probably could be happy with her the, the person that if your wife dies you could probably marry someone else and be happy it's it, it's not this exclusive Game of I if I don't find the right the the if I don't if all the conditions aren't met for my getting married then my life is going to be in turmoil the rest of my that's not true it's it's, it should especially not be true for Christians because because we have all these wonderful things that God gives us not only you know how to how to relate to each other the instructions and we have in the scriptures that we have the Holy Spirit and again He knits us together as one flesh so the joy. That, like you say, the common grace, not just for Christians, but really the joy that a person can have in marriage is is available with I- any number of people, uh, not just not just one the one.
1: Well, that's a yeah. the idea of the one whether Christianized that the Lord has selected one or worldly eyes, the the stars have selected one, that's a very modern Western idea. I mean, for the whole history of the world and even today in large swaths of the world, there are cultures in which husbands and wives meet on their wedding day. And you know, maybe I wouldn't choose that for myself or for my children, but there's a sense in which the proof, as you said, Jay, is in the pudding, those marriages often work and produce children and culture. And it is not an unweighty thing, but we've made it much more weighty recently
2: than it has been. Mm. Well, I think part of that is that, you know, the sort of what is Philip Lash, the culture of narcissism? Does he write that book? Is, is that, you know, that the idea of this sort of inward turn, you know, the, the subjective turn inward, and then we become the definition of ourselves. And so, you know, that sexuality um, has always been in powerful drive. It just wasn't able to be fully exercised but, because you could get in trouble with it, not you know, I mean, you could. You would have a child. You have a. You get a venereal disease. You do something. There was a. There was a physical limitation to the exercise, exercising of our, of our unbridled sexual desires. So I think that's what kept it below the level of an, identi- of an identity. But once we saw that those restrictions were taken away, well, of course, then it becomes the primary understanding of our identity because it's one of our primary drives. And so you have this sort of incipient um, narcissism that just feeds on itself. Um, and you, you, you find these people talking about almost incessantly about nothing other than themselves. Like, this is my desire as a blank. You know, when someone who suffers in this way does this, you know, as a... And I was listening to someone talk about this again. I forget who it was, it was just like constant podcast in my life. But <laughs> but they were saying that part of the problem with the particularly the gay Christian, quote unquote, gay Christian movement is not that we don't have empathy for their struggles, but that they're talking incessantly about themselves in this sort of sexualized way. And, you know, one, at least very short term therapeutic fix could be, why don't you stop telling us every. Five seconds about what your sexual appetites or desires are. You know, I really am not that interested, honestly. Like, I can, I can imagine. You know, I mean, I, I can, and I don't really like to spend that much time. And now, I can't stop know. imagining. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's like, it's like, and I, and I, I just wanted to, you, you know, go to church today or whatever. I didn't have to want to have to start wondering all these things. um You know, it's like I tell my congregation, like, there's a reason we have a general confession. Like, you know, you can come have private confession with me if you need to, and I'm certainly open for that, but, but most of you will, you know, it will suffice to speak directly to the Lord, um, and receive, you know, confession and absolution in, in the group here. And it may not be beneficial for all of us to, uh, sort of public come public with, you know, with every single minute detail of your fallen life. And that's what we're being asked to carry, um, in this whole conversation with people in a very, uh, you know, intimate and, and well, I want to say uncomfortable, but but it's unnecessary. You know, it's unnecessarily narcissistic. And you want to just say, listen, you're a sinner like I am. You're a man. You know, your sin patterns are, you know, maybe they're directed in different ways, but they're certainly not dramatically different than the fall has corrupted, you know, male desire. And um, I can't speak for exactly how it corrupts women's desire, but I certainly can, um, you know, I trust Liza when she says it has. And I say, well, you know, Lord have mercy, and let's keep walking. I mean, that seems to be the... The short-term prescription for this. And and I, I think we're going to see, I think there's going to come a point where the, I don't want to say the goodwill will be lost, but I think at some point you can only listen to somebody complain about themselves for so long before you say, well, listen, you, know, you need to do something about it or just stop talking about it because like, you know, we, we understand, like we understand what's going on. And I think a lot of the, um, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for repentant Christians of any stripe. I don't know what you're repenting of. And so you know, I can only, again, can only imagine and pray and would, would weep with those who weep. Um, but at the end of the day, if you continue to identify yourself by, you know, the things that are wrong with you, as opposed to exalting the the thing that the one who saved you, well, then don't be surprised if you're not going to find a lot of relief from from that state. You know, I mean, that's just... You know what Luther say? If you want to find sin, look deep within. You know, look in your heart. You want, you you want to, you need to find a savior. Look to Jesus. You know, I mean, that seems to be the prescription for this.
1: I was going to say, as we round out into the end of our time here, that that that's one thing that even in that old clip, Sam is right about. That we're not promised sexual satisfaction. We're not promised that. Our desires will be fulfilled in just the way our sinful hearts want. What we are promised is redemption in Jesus Christ. And there is, in fact, good news for those of us whose I mean, all of us, whose sinful natures corrupt even our sexual desires one way or another, that we have Jesus and there is good news for us. Amen. Well, that is going to be all the time that we have. Thank you for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you would like to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to J.D. Coke and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.